Hello and welcome to the Athletic Business Podcast. I'm Jason Scott. I'm Andy Berg. And today on the show, we're talking with Navigate Research founder and CEO, A.J. Mastis. Uh, we're going to be actually doing a little bit uh, something different on the show today. Um, we are welcoming uh, a new voice uh, to the podcast for the first time. Uh, you'll well, be hearing I mean kind of new. Right, yeah. I, <laughs> new, new to you, uh, old to us and to uh, longtime readers of the, the magazine, uh, Mr. Paul Steinbach. He's our senior editor. He's going to be conducting today's interview. Uh, and again, it's with uh, Navigate Research founder and CEO, A.J. Mastis. And we're talking about the college football attendance problem. Yeah, which we've covered extensively with uh, various reports um, in our newsletter, and uh, it continues to be a thing. Right, yeah. Uh, there's certainly uh, an issue with people uh, coming through the turnstiles at even some of the most successful programs uh, throughout the country. I mean, when winning on the field doesn't get um, butts in the seats, there's uh, larger issues at play. So we're going to be discussing all of that and more with... AJ Mastis coming up in just a moment, but first, a quick break. AB Today is a daily e-newsletter that provides professionals within the athletics, fitness, and recreation industry with relevant, fast-reading nationwide stories. Sign up at athleticbusiness.com slash e-news and enjoy great content from Athletic Business every weekday. Coming up is our interview with AJ Mastis, the founder and CEO of Navigate Research. He'll be joined by Paul Steinbeck, our senior editor with Athletic Business. Enjoy. AJ, welcome to the Athletic Business Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Our first question, uh, what kind of research does your firm conduct? Oh, this has to be very exciting for your audience. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you'll, you'll probably get a laugh out of this, but we, we fancy ourselves as being the McKinsey of sports. Um, but the truth is, is all that work sits on a foundation of um, uh, social sciences research or quantum analytic work. And the marriage of those two is this field called behavioral economics, uh, which, which we think explains almost everything in the business of sports and entertainment. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the gist of it. Uh, in the collegiate-specific space or in amateur athletics, our research tends to be around big business transactions and deals like television deals for conferences or a multimedia rights deal at the university level, apparel deals, stadium naming rights, um, fan insights, those kind of things. How long have you focused specifically on the collegiate market? Well, we've always done college work over our 14-year history, okay. um, but uh, but but uh, it was a few years in that it became you know uh, an actual specialization. I'm sure it's not a surprise to anybody listening that it's more lucrative to work for the uh, pro sports leagues and. Uh, and um, and we work with them all. And so the majority of our, our we make a living in the pro sports world. But my passion is in the uh, collegiate space. Was there anything just years into your existence about the college marketplace that made you want to focus on that at least partially? I think there's a greater opportunity to make a difference in the collegiate space. You know, we might help a billionaire NFL team owner. You know, make the franchise worth you know, a few percentage points more or close some big deal. But um, how material is that to that, uh, you know, owner or that league? In the collegiate space, there's a chance to make a much larger difference with our work. And I think it serves a, a mission I believe in much more, but I can't lie, I'm also a fan. You know, um, The reason I think most people 
would work in collegiate athletics is that they um, played or loved the sports and they loved the not-for-profit mission, you know, the, the path of the student-athlete and the development of a college student and all those varied stakeholders, as frustrating as they can be in getting your job done, <laughs> they are, uh, it, it means a little something more than just wins and losses and, and you know, profit and loss. A hot topic today and one that has vexed colleges and universities nationwide for several years now is declining football attendance. College football is not the hot ticket it once was. Has your research uncovered any reasons as to why that might be? Well, ticket sales and attendance are in a bit of a decline globally, um, almost across the board. There's some very rare exceptions. And even those exceptions, like minor league baseball, you know, can only point to a handful of years, you know, the last four or five years. So um, I I don't... I don't know how much uh, it's declined as being a hot ticket. I mean, the sport is growing, popularity is growing, audience and viewership are growing. It's just the reality of some of the changing factors in our world. The the biggest one we see is competition for leisure time, uh, social media in particular, and the amount of time people are spending on their phones. And, um, and while TV is dropping, not not near enough to account for how much you know we we already have of video time. Um, but uh, rising ticket prices is something to keep in mind. Uh, ticket prices uh, have risen significantly more than inflation, so they're relatively more expensive and um, much more so at a much faster rate than uh, any decline in attendance. So some of that is just you know economic trade-offs. Premium tickets have uh, even more so, um, yet they still have more premium seats and areas and, and at a reasonable capacity filled uh, than at any point in history. Game times haven't helped, and, and that's... Um, that's a result of, of television becoming and will continue to be a larger share of uh, total revenue. Uh, secondary market, I, I think, is something that hasn't helped a great deal. Um, if you think of something like Major League Baseball as an example, you know, who realistically in, in this day and age, you know, commits to 81, you know, baseball games with their calendar and their schedule? Well, the secondary market gives you a lot of flexibility uh, with that. So you can buy something you know you're not going to fully use. Um, although it uh, also holds the primary market accountable for quality and accuracy, and we don't have that in the college world. In fact, uh, I haven't seen this stat in a few years, but if I remember correctly, and I believe it's still true, the largest secondary ticket market in the world is is American college football, uh, which is not a good sign, given that there's only six or seven home games uh, per university. It means the primary market's not priced correctly, right, on the positive and negative end. And then there's a whole bunch of things, uh, things I would call, you know, things we could be better at as an industry as far as, you know, um, competing for that scarce entertainment dollar, you know, our ticket sales efforts and the service that comes along with that, traffic and transit and parking, uh, food and beverage. There's a, a bunch of things I, I won't bore you with unless you care to learn more, but but um, uh, you combine it all together and, and there's a number of ways they're not competing with, you know, uh, other methods of entertainment or leisure time. The industries that our magazine focuses on on a regular basis the design construction and operation of venues and we've learned a lot lately about right sizing venues it seemed like 20 years ago there was this arms race to have the biggest seating capacity in college football now we're seeing some campuses kind of dial back and even downsize existing facilities is stadium size a factor in the demand for the ticket to actually be there on game day yeah without question i 
and perception as well. You know, um, is this a scarce, exciting thing, you know, to be a part of? Um, I'm glad uh, for that trend in downsizing. I know ego and keeping up with the Joneses and perception of recruiting and, you know, uh, coaches' requests, whether they be based in, you know, real need or not. A lot of these things drove administrators, you know, to fund these stadiums that we were very much against the, the growth and capacity on average. Um, stadiums need to be smaller uh, on average, almost all of them, and uh, virtually all of them need to invest and increase their premium seating areas and experiential areas, uh, non-traditional sort of seating areas. So um, knowing that's such a large share of your audience, I, I'm glad to see that trend, thrilled to see that trend, and, and we very much believe it has to um continue. Uh, there, there's a number of benefits, but, you know, economics is always a major driver. I know it's, it's not the driver in uh, the amateur athletics world, but, you know, optimizing revenue for that facility isn't uh, maximizing the capacity. Um, and I'm trying to think of, uh, to compare it to the pro sports world, which, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't mean to be rude by saying it, but, you know, I think it tends to be about a decade ahead of college athletics on average, not, not you know, for everyone, but, uh, in that world, I think about 4% of seats account for 50% uh, of ticket revenue. And, and the price breaks, you know, range from uh, 120th the price from the cheapest to most expensive seat. And there's uh, almost 20 different price points in the stadium to buy a ticket. And all those things I just shared are radically less um, than in the, in the college world. So um, there is a lot of maturing that the pricing and sales and uh, functions can can experience to optimize revenue in a given stadium. Um, but yeah, larger stadiums are, are generally not one of them. It used to be not long ago that holding a ticket meant you were one of the privileged few who got to see an event live. But television has changed all that. Can the impact of television be overstated? I, I actually think it can. I'm not trying to be contrarian here, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, but but I understand that, you know, there is an element of competition with what's happening on television. and it, it, We have some really interesting studies, some ethnographies, you know, that we've done watching people sort of consume sports at home. We did a really interesting one for ESPN about five years ago, watching people consume college and NFL football. And uh, the real big takeaway from that, I think it's a dated enough study that I'm not harming anybody's business by sharing that, you know, people's eyes were down on their phones constantly. Remember five years ago, you know, we didn't have that strong of a grasp on, on social, digital, mobile, what have you. Um, but, but there it was happening right in front of us. Uh, there's, I think, 12 minutes of whistle-to-whistle action in a, in a college football game. And uh, it's a three-and-a-half-hour affair. That is a lot of time, you know, to fill with uh, socializing, gambling, you know, fantasy sports, all these other sort of options that someone has. So... Um, television, video, you know, all that stuff lowers these hurdles, the opportunity cost of your time, right? Um, when you add traffic, transit, parking, and everything to going and seeing it in person versus HD television, big 65-inch TV in your climate-controlled home where your food and beverage is excellent and cheap, yeah, it's a factor. But 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 anyway, to, to share with you some of the opposing insights that we've learned in our research, um, if it's done right, it's complimentary. Uh, one of our favorite clients over our history is the Seattle Founders, just a truly exceptional ownership and organization that is always pushing themselves to be better. And um, a really fun, interesting fact we discovered was their um, uh, 
television audience in away games was worse than home games. Now, they have a very big fan base. Most people know that are listening to this. I'm sure they get 40,000, 50,000 people you know, into their stadium for games. And that is a pretty material and large audience for uh, MLS television broadcast. So you take those 40,000, 50,000 people at the game, and they cannot watch on TV because they're at the game. And yet, the away game has lower attendance. So we dug and dug into it. And basically, the, the story, and this has been replicated all over collegiate athletics, If they, someone turns on the TV and they see a packed house and an exciting environment and you can just tell it's something important you should be watching, you know, the, the dial gets a little sticky and you hang out there for a little longer. So there are scenarios where success begets success and, and television can introduce your product to people. Very, very much true. And um, draw more people to the game. Um, there's an example of the Blackhawks that held out for a very, very long time from putting their um, local games on television and It's hard to isolate, you know, with one specific team. But when we try to look at the trend overall, pre-broadcast versus post-broadcast, television has put more butts in seats, we think. Um, and and you've got to normalize for some of those things I said earlier, like how much prices have increased above the normal rate of inflation. Um, so you have to sort of, you know, realize that on a proportionate relative basis, it's more expensive to go to a game today than it was at any time in the past. Um, but there's no doubt you're in competition with it. Turn off the channel, walk away, and you know your commute is over. And it's uh, it, it is a real competition. But but I think that when it is stated, and in, in my opinion, maybe overstated, people are forgetting about all the other benefits of introduction of young fans who can't afford to go, or young families who can't attend, and all the other things I just shared. I, I, we consider television a net benefit uh, to attendance. Speaking of young fans, it seems counterintuitive, but. It's almost as if college students are one of the drivers of the decline that we've seen in college football attendance. Uh, does attendance issue does the attendance issue go beyond students and student apathy to the general public, or is it is it really a kind of a a student issue. I, I would think that students would be the most rabid fans on any given campus, but they are, the student sections in a lot of places seem to be the emptiest sections in the stadium. Yeah, people are having a very difficult time with students, and, and, and we think the solution is a very different solution. Uh, if, um, if I could paint you a picture for like the pathway to fandom, you know, and this is tough to do on a, on a podcast, but the way that someone moves through their life cycle as a fan and were introduced to sports and, and, you know, fell in love with a sport and started to follow a team. Uh, those rules have been thrown, you know, head over heels, you know, into a new world. And, and some rules of thumb exist, but, but it, it, you would be amazed if I could share with you, for example, a chart showing how certain people are introduced. Uh, and I'll give you some highlights. Young people, Um, short-form video and following someone on social media and the athlete takes a more prominent role than the team. Many of these young people, uh, Gen Z is an example, are, are following a team in a city they've never been to that they may never go to, that they may never see that athlete perform live in person halfway across the country or halfway across the world, um, as opposed to that, you know, my, my, I played the sports, uh, my uncle, my father, my mother brought me to games, And uh, I fell in love with my local team, you know, my jersey, as opposed to, you know, specifically the people on the team. And there's a million other examples, video games as a gateway and entryway into fandom and what have you. But um, so uh, students are a challenge. It doesn't mean they're less rabid. It just means there's more competition for their time. You know, they don't necessarily have to be a Major League Soccer fan. They can be a fan of FC Barcelona or Real Madrid. 
Um, and so the, there's a lot of competition because the walls and boundaries of geography have come down. Um, but, but with that said, it's not just students. Um, it just, it's, it looks so clear and acute because you see those sections that they're, the way they treat their time. And they are far more that way. And by the way, it's not stopping anytime soon. Gen Z is now entering that core sports fan age. You know, they're turning 23, 24 this year, depending on, you know, what definition you believe in. And, um, if, if you're not scared enough by hearing the term Gen Z and some of their radical reduction in changes in behavior around sport, they get ready for uh, uh, the alpha generation, which follows Gen Z. But, um, but everybody is experiencing those same things. So it's just that the number one factor that I listed there and what's affecting attendance is, is that competition for leisure time. And the number one uh, you know, sort of uh, opponent in that competition is social, digital, mobile, smartphones, essentially, and social media. I think we all know, anyone listening to this, that, that these younger generations are more impacted and more engaged in spending more time on those devices and on those sort of platforms than older generations. But, but those same variables are affecting older generations. Um, uh, social media leisure time for the average American is, is in the four and a half hours a day range, and that has now surpassed television, and television has only shrunk by about 45 minutes an hour down to about three and a half hours. A day, those numbers might sound ridiculous to you, as in almost every waking hour you're not at work. But those are, um, you know, those those are real numbers. You can't double someone's leisure screen time, including that's average Americans, and 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 expect there not to be something that falls to the wayside. My next question is coming from an older college football fan. I've been a longtime season ticket holder at my alma mater, and I spent years of not going. I was selling my tickets as a package, and when I came back, I was surprised at the game day experience that, and how much it had changed from when I was a student. I'm wondering, is it, is it possible that colleges intent on mimicking the pro game day fan experience are misjudging what their particular fan base actually wants? I think a lot of people go back to their college stadium for the nostalgia of it, and it's just gone in the opposite direction. At least that's what I've observed. Well, we, we are, <laughs> I, it seems like I'm being, you know, I feel like I'm being contrarian this whole time. I'm, I, I don't mean to counter that point, but, but just to try to share something, you know, new and interesting and different. Um, I would actually, you know, big picture argue that the universities aren't employing enough of the modern tactics and, and that's what's causing them some of the challenges. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm a passionate college football fan. It's actually the only thing I'm really a passionate fan of, um, and uh, uh, I I want some of that history and <laughs> tradition there too. But there, but it's tough. I mean, I, you went to Wisconsin, and 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 Camp Randall is an unbelievable experience and place. But there's a lot of empty seats there, and so for the big games that you see on TV, you don't notice. Um, but um, but you know, there are things that are proven to keep the casual fan engaged. So as an example, and you're describing yourself as an older fan, so don't be offended, but, but going on that theme and saying, okay, you're Generation and I'm Gen X as well, so uh, you know, I don't qualify as any of these newer generations that you know, are tech-enabled. Um, the passionate fan who's there for the athletes on the field, the coach, the performance for your alma mater, for that connectivity to that community, you might be annoyed by some of the rock music and tactics that they're doing, but it, it really doesn't actually drive people away, not, not in a measurable way, not materially. But what it does do is um, if you take those things away, the casual fans, the cheapest price point, they have alternatives like going to the movies or bowling with their young children. 
and the problem and the opportunity cost of that entertainment, right? That that hurdle to switching or leaving is is less. So basically, um, it is a very strange uh, scenario where it tends to be our findings are that you should actually concentrate your game day atmosphere and experience on some of your lower value customers, like your students who help your atmosphere, even though you don't make good money off of them, uh, they're investing in the future, and families and casual fans that, that need other forms of entertainment to be satisfied. Because if you recall earlier, I mentioned 12 minutes of action, right, in a three-and-a-half-hour uh, event, not counting tailgating and traffic and transit and what have you. So, you know, um, uh, you can only do so many things like the jump around, which is cool and awesome, right, and everybody knows about it, but what else do you do to keep the kids from getting bored, right, up there in the nosebleed? That's when the kids so, leave anyway, after um, jump around. <laughs> it, yeah, they, I'm sure they do. I mean, the student section, by the way, I, I didn't address it because I didn't want to get into minutiae, but, you know, um, you know, the students are in the end. I mean, I have never seen a student section in football like Wisconsin as far as the sequence and order and, and you know, it's just incredible. But, um, you know, students are in the end zones. Uh, you know, they don't have the best seats. And are they really there for the game action? How how tied are they, you know, at that point to, you know, the, their alma mater? Um, you know, the seats are just too expensive to give them the good seats. So student sections have ended up in worse locations and so forth and so on. So there's a whole number of factors that get into that. But um, if I could summarize what I'm saying, uh, believe it or not, the the loyalist, the traditionalist, and, and, and I absolutely think the college experience needs to honor that, right? I mean, if there's no band and, you know, there's no tailgating and some of these other things, you know, that you associate with college football, uh, you know, you would, you would change the experience. And, and it is eroding, you know, the whole amateurism element of it is slowly eroding, right, with uh, the reality of where things are going, whether it's name, image, and likeness or beyond, you know, the transfer portal, some of the things and the stickiness that was there, um, aren't there or they're less and probably won't be there in the future. So anyway, um, there's no question to have a quality product you'd want to differentiate, you'd want to own that history, and you'd want to own that specific audience that prefers college athletics. But but the truth is is that uh, the, the math uh, shows um, that those pro tactics, like shooting T-shirts into the crowd and playing music on breaks and things like that, it's actually really important to the overall game day atmosphere and keeping those seats full and um, and it doesn't annoy the people like you and I enough to actually drive us away. Fair enough. What can colleges in the midst of a turnstile slump do between now and kickoff 2020 to shift the attendance momentum? Are there things that, that athletic departments can change right away to make a, an impact? Yeah, yeah. Um, thinking very short term, you know, 2020. I mean, you know, we'll be in a little bit of a fantasy world because, you know, tickets are going out and priced and all that. But right. hi- hiring more ticket sellers, uh, uh, you know, the an MBA team, which is usually considered sort of the best in business practices in the um, sports world. MBA team might have 40 year round ticket sellers and that might jump to 80 or 90 during renewal season. An average university might have three or four ticket sellers and it might peak at seven or eight. I'm doing average, you know, giant universities might be larger, but um, uh, a university has a lot more seats to sell between basketball, football, and all their other sports than one NBA team does. So more ticket sellers, there's no question there's an underinvestment in direct sales. Um, Group ticket sales, this is, um, I mentioned earlier, minor league baseball is one of the rare sports in the entire world that's actually growing in attendance. Um, They employ a lot of the tactics that we were just talking about, these things that might seem cheesy and not related to the game on the field, but um, but they work, right? It's it's a giant family picnic, you know, sort of festival atmosphere at minor league baseball quite often. 
Um, but they're great at group ticket sales. Again, not serious fans. Those are people who are just going for a group friendship outing, but uh, they fill their stadiums with uh, excellent practices and group ticket sales. So I, I, I think that I don't know of anybody that's doing serious group ticket sales efforts in collegiate athletics. They price their tickets correctly. I mean, there, there's over and under price tickets. Uh, I mean, colleges are still resistant to um, having the price really reflect the matchup in both directions. Um, I think in nurturing your existing clients, you know, services are uh, is really low. Those like that MBA example I was using, that that forty to eighty ticket sellers, let's call it, they probably have ten to twenty ticket service people, and there's a rule of thumb on how many seats versus service persons. But those people hear from those service people, they get updates from them, they stop by and see them in their seats every few games. Um, that is also virtually non-existent in the collegiate world. So nurturing your existing clients. Um, and and, and in that sort of same vein, I'd say up your CRM game, you know, for those who are not familiar with the technical stuff, like that just means customer relationship management, but there's all these, you know, software platforms, databases for tracking the relationship with you and that fan. So you can target lost accounts and find out why they left. You'd be amazed how many people cancel season tickets and don't hear a peep from anybody. Um, And all they need to do is be heard, right, to come and be welcomed back into the family upselling with your best customers, cross-selling. There's ways to do laser-focused targeting, finding people who are demographically identical to your fans that just happen to not be coming to the game. So there's some really efficient and effective ways to sell quick. And and I'd finish by saying smart advertising, which um, any advertising campaign that's smart is going to skew towards social, digital, mobile. You you can do laser-focused messages. It's direct response. It's super measurable. Um, but you don't see as much of that as you would expect in the uh, collegiate world. So all those tactics I just shared, I'd be shocked if any of those were employed or increased and they didn't uh, uh, more than pay for themselves. So, yeah, there's there's short-term levers you can pull. What's the long game in terms of sustaining college football attendance? I'm glad you asked because that's what really matters, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, You know, you hate to say winning cures everything, but the product on the field, I mean, the product on the field matters. Uh, but, uh, you know, in sport, in college athletics, uh, you know, the Power Five, as an example, is very fortunate because you can average above a 500 record by playing lower division schools. But generally in sports, you're going to, you know, one team wins, one loses, right? The average record is 500. So winning can't just be your cure. Um, but uh, But style of play, relationship with the community, some of those things. Game day atmosphere is pretty big in our work. Um, you know, people, um, it's, it's hard to make yourself immune to winning and losing, but, um, but, but generally speaking, there's a stickiness with, you know, that, um, game day atmosphere, right? Uh, and all of those things. I mean, Wi-Fi is, is horribly lacking in, in college stadiums. Do you use that example I shared from that ESPN study where people are, uh, you know, at home watching football and how much their time is down? And that was five years ago. That's like ancient times the speed of change in consumer behavior nowadays, um, you, you, you have to pe- keep people engaged. Uh, you know, they, they will lose track of what's going on in the game. Um, and there's a sense of community and a tradition thing. I mean, I know that, that those might, words might ring hollow, but um, college athletics in particular, there's a, there's a loyalty factor. You know, there's sort of that, um, you know, membership in a club and a sense of community. And that exists in all of sports, right? All of sports have this sort of, tribal element that can be good and bad um but um there's things you can do to to influence that i I mentioned you know some of the core stuff that we do at navigate right our job is to influence consumer fan whatever you want to call it behavior and then observe and understand it to to be better at it 
Um, there's no question, just as marketing works, that you can change your sense of community, connection, create new traditions, etc. And the last one I would say is that um, we did this really cool study across like every venue you can imagine, 10,000 respondents. We looked at people who attend and don't watch, people who watch and don't attend, uh, all these sort of funny nuances of people. Like, how could you religiously watch but never go to the games? And uh, dug into basically, you know, what was holding them back and um, even did some really cool qualitative stuff with this biometric vest that gave people uh, feedback on what their bodies were telling us about, you know, where they're going, wait time, stress, a bunch of really cool factors. Anyway, uh, one of the real big highlights out of that was that the, the most painful part is traffic, transit, and parking. And um, think for a, sec- a second, like, what it's like to go to an airport. I don't think anybody would consider your local municipality that runs your airport to be, you know, great at customer service. And wouldn't you expect, you know, an entertainment and sport venue to be better at customer service? But, you know, there's curbside check-in and there's TSA pre-check and, and global entry and first-class lanes and, uh, there's a number of ways that they logistically try to, you know, reduce the pain of, you know, their requirement of a security check. Um, and yet you go to sports venues and you, you see, you know, rarely any of that help in logistics and getting inside that gate. So um, there is a lot of pain associated with parking and getting in and getting out. Um, but there's solutions, right? Tailgating is a beautiful solution to that that gives you a sense of community um, uh, builds resistance against winning and losing because you're essentially having a picnic with good old friends and you know uh, classmates and what have you and um, doesn't force you to rush in or rush out you don't have to come in and, and go at peak times so there's solutions to all these things I just shared but yeah I, I would name those as the, the big four the, the product game day atmosphere and experience the sense of community and tradition and uh, the whole traffic transit parking terrific insights A.J. Mastis of Navigate Research, we thank you for joining the AB Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Athletic Business Magazine is a trade publication that 40,000 athletics, fitness, and recreation professionals rely on to find the tips, trends, and products they need to be successful. Want to join? Head on over to athleticbusiness.com slash subscribe to get started or renew your free subscription. That's going to do it for another episode of the Athletic Business Podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you like the show, uh, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening. Uh, but until then, that's going to do it for this episode. And take, take it, it easy. easy.